0: Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a powerful uh, force in them for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you as well. I've been teasing out this particular episode for weeks and weeks and weeks now, and it's finally arrived, chapter 14 of Showdown in the Yukon. If you are new to the show, welcome. Here's how the game is played. Uh, I'm going to read a chapter or actually going to listen to a recording that I did a long time ago of uh, this uh, novel that I wrote called Showdown in the Yukon. And then on the other side of that, you'll get to hear some of my commentary, some of the behind the scenes, how uh, did I come up with these ideas or any Easter eggs that might be contained in the chapter. Um, I'm really glad that you're here. I think you're going to enjoy it. And we will get to chapter 14 in Showdown in the Yukon right after this week's sponsors. Chapter 14. On and on, Monterey walked, feeling his way forward, his fingers and feet working the walls and ground like antennae, looking for any large barrier or sudden pit. There was no way for him to know his progress. As far as he knew, he was walking in a blind circle, or worse, headed directly toward wherever the pirates were hiding out. Monterey did his best to make his steps as silently as possible, but his shoes constantly scuffed and ground against the grid on the cave floor searching for danger. He could not have silence, safety, and progress at the same time. He hoped he would survive his choices. More than once, Monterey stubbed his toe, barely stifling a cry. As the hours dragged by, it must have been hours, he thought, and the longer he was not detected in the long, dark cave, the less fearful he became of the extra noise he made here and there. So comfortable had he become, he even began to talk to himself once in a while to remember he was there. Can't believe I lost them, he'd say, or... Why did I say yes to this whole adventure business? It can't be worth all of this. He wondered if he'd been missed by the others yet. He wondered if the pirates captured them, and now his friends awaited a painful pirate trial. He wondered how horrible a pirate trial would be. Whatever it was like, he was certain they didn't stick to any normal laws. More importantly, he was certain that any version of trial a pirate invented would end in the deaths of his companions. He tried not to wonder much more about that. Further down and further in, he trudged. The dark began to feel like a giant blanket he would never escape. He remembered times as a child he had had dreams much like this, where he was trapped under water or under a building and he couldn't move or breathe. He wouldn't be able to call out for help. He thought about calling out for help right then, but he knew it would do no good. The truth about a bad dream is you're always a wake-up away from getting out of them. There was no wake-up available for Monterey. He did not know if he would ever get out of this mountain's trap. Fear and anxiety boiled up from within Monterey. Eventually, he broke down. He could not bear it anymore. The dark, the silence, the hopelessness. He cried out with all his voice, not caring about being heard. Even if the pirates found him, he figured at least he would be somewhere knowable. After the moment of despair passed and nothing had changed, Monterey got up, let out a long breath, and continued his way into the dark. A few steps further, he heard the faint lapping of water. Was there a sizable underground pond? Maybe a lake? His mind sprung at the realization. If there was a pool of water, there was a source of water. If there was a source of water, there might be a way out of there. All he had to do was find it without drowning. Monterey had never been comfortable in the water. Even his last water experience ended in disaster. But that did not matter to him at that moment. He had to find the source but was not at all sure how to see it in the dark. Monterey pressed forward, wanting to find out the answer. He ventured closer to the sounds of water, picking up his pace. Hope is rejuvenating. Something about it draws you in, like an iron filing to a magnet. That was the feeling Monterey had, like he was drawn forward. He hoped there would be an end to this time in the darkness. Even if it turned out to be a useless hope, at least it was something his heart could grasp. After a rise here and a twist there, Monterey felt the texture of the ground beneath him change. A few steps more and he felt the sound around him change too. The land was much softer, sandier. The sound was more open, as if the walls of the cave were now yards and yards away from him. He heard the water quite close to him, and the sound of the small lapping waves bounced off the… then he saw it. It was just a thought at first, the ghost of a thought. Monterey saw the faint texture of rocks. He saw how far away everything was. He saw the tops of the ripples in the water. There must be light somewhere, he realized. Monterey frantically searched for it. Then he spied it. Way off in the distance, directly in front of him, was a small pinhole of light. He was not sure what sort of light it was because it looked more flame-colored than sun-colored, or even moon-colored. He had lost all bearing on time by now and was not sure which light should be shining outside if the light was a flame there must be a person if there was a person he or she might be able to guide him out monterey was just about to call out to the light but a thought stopped him what if it was a trap set by the pirates he took one more step closer and squinted hard into the darkness to see if he could make out anything specific his foot rolled over a curious rock curious because it was neither sandy like the ground, nor was it irregular like the rocky path. It was as smooth and round under his foot as an egg, though not as large or as fragile. His curiosity piqued, he got down on his knees and felt for it in the sand. Placing his palms flat on the sand, he moved them in slow arcs till he found it. Monterey rolled the rock between his hands. It was perfectly round and smooth as glass. Given its size, he tried to guess what it might be. It seemed just a little larger than a glass marble. He held it up to the distant light to see if he could make out any details. The stone was a milky white color, Monterey guessed, with some iridescent sheen reminding him of the fool's gold the crooked and the naive brought in from time to time back home. Whatever the stone was, it did not belong in that cave. Monterey stood up and placed it in his pocket till he could get a proper look at it in the sunlight. First, he had to get back to the sunlight. He walked to the water's edge and sat down to contemplate his next move. Not wanting to get in the water unless he had to, he took off his shoes and gave his tired feet a good cooling off. He could not swim, did not know how to float, and did not know what creatures he might meet in the water. He did, however, love to soak his feet in the refreshing water of a creek or river. Something about the freshness and the clean feeling seemed to take away the dustiness of regular life. Monterey sat there enjoying the soak when something new caught his eye. It was nothing much, just a tiny reflection of that pin light along the surface of the water. It looked like a growing wedge of ripples headed his way. The wedge approached quick enough that Monterey grew uneasy. He quickly gathered his shoes, stood up, and backed away a few yards from the water's edge. He certainly didn't want to get his toes nipped off, nor be dragged in by some monster's tentacles. A creature finally did emerge from the water, but it was nothing like the kind Monterey had anticipated. It was not fishy in the slightest. No, the creature looked much more like a man than anything else he could describe. What on earth would a man be doing swimming in this underground lake or pond? Monterey had no idea. Eventually, standing to his full height, the man wore inky black from head to foot. The black clothing assured Monterey he was not a pirate, since the fellows above wore colorful and flashy clothes. In addition to the black costume, there seemed to be a shiny object attached to his right eye, something like an eye patch, perhaps made of tin or silver. The man stood there. Monterey felt dread swell in his gut. A straw or reed dangled from the man's mouth. Monterey assumed this was what caused the ripples in the water and allowed the man to breathe underwater. The man removed the straw or reed and addressed Monterey. To what do I owe the pleasure of your visit, and what are you doing poking around my house? Okay, so for a while now, I have been teasing this out, and now I need to make an apology. The, the full reveal will be in the next chapter. I remember chapter 14 being um, the... It's a two-parter. Chapters 14 and 15 are both sides of uh, this giveaway. I guess it's a giveaway scene, though I did I did throw in another uh, a d- a little doodad in here uh, for this chapter. If you're really deep into books, you might have picked this one up, but you'd have to be way, way deep into books. So uh, if you are new to the show, this is, this is the backstory of all of this. Um, in uh, developing uh, this story years ago, uh, all of the all of my background in writing is to write uh, fast and short, so that I can essentially start a project and end it all in the same writing session, so that I can keep all the details straight. And there's no way to do that with a novel, so. I tried that as a series of blog posts because at the time I had heard things like, oh, you could blog yourself into a book. I'm like, ah, sure, I'll give that a shot. So I blogged uh, this whole thing. Very different story. If any of you had read the blog, you would know we are far afield of anything like that. And um one of the bits of wisdom that i had gained about how to write novels was find a plot that works that you know that works that you like is kind of a classic plot line and then uh essentially copy it but you're adding your own stuff to it so it's not plagiarism it's your own take on the same basic nuts and bolts you're putting your own muscle and skin on uh, an existing working skeleton so to speak and a lot of uh, beginning artists do this whether it's you go to the art museum as a uh, painter or a sketch artist and you go and you copy the masters until you kind of get their stuff under um, under your uh, fingertips Uh, you wouldn't sell it because it's that would be straight up plagiarism and uh, forgery and you won't want to do that Uh, but you do start to learn how to do that in music you would uh, particularly in uh, jazz music or rock and roll solos you would listen to the greats of whatever instrument you play and then uh, copy some of their licks and then you maybe you string together several different uh, artists uh, licks together. And eventually, over time, you end up with your own style and your own voice and your own way of doing things. So, this, this logic sort of made sense to me. And uh, for the longest time, I was thinking, well, this is a three-part series that um, I'm working on. And this is the start of that. And what this particular moment, which was, I think, part of even the original blog story, was I really like the, um, the bit in uh, The Hobbit where Bilbo gets down into the cave and he finds the ring for the first time. And you have no idea what that ring is about or what it does, it's kind of fun. And throughout the rest of the story, The story is not about the ring in The Hobbit. The story is about something very different, but you've got this little magical ring that does things. And then you find out in future books that the ring is super important and very different than what you thought it was in The Hobbit. And that twist that Tolkien put into the story I thought was really great. And that's how I wanted this series to go, that the pearl is very important to the series, but not that important to this particular story so um thinking that like oh well what if i sort of built shodan in the yukon off of the spine of the hobbit so there isn't really a one-for-one translation of a bunch of stuff in the hobbit into this but if you go back to episode one and start rereading um, Shodan and Yukon thinking, is this like The Hobbit? You might be able to start to see some things and similarities. Certainly, from this point forward, uh, you would be able uh, to figure that out. Um, so that's the big reveal um, that this story is sort of built on The Hobbit, which will destroy the rest of this book, I'm sure, for <laughs> which I apologize for. I think it'll still be a fun read. And there is another thing that I realized as I was analyzing The Hobbit, that plays out towards the uh, climax and resolution of the story that I thought was very interesting uh, about The Hobbit that I wanted to emulate in this story as well. So you can stay tuned uh, for that revelation towards the end of this story. The deep reading uh, reference that you probably didn't get and not necessarily, uh, I I blame you for that. Uh, When I was in high school, Uh, I was a theater student and was also in choirs and that kind of stuff, and Phantom of the Opera became quite the thing. And uh, not only did I enjoy listening to the soundtrack and imagining the show in my head, um, but then I actually became a fan of the story of Phantom of the Opera, and uh, got a copy from uh, some library in town and and read uh, Gaston LaRue's uh, story of Phantom of the Opera, fascinating book i really recommend it it's it's great it has everything in it it's got romance it's got a good uh heist story in there there's obviously the scary stuff um it's really really great anyway uh there's a bit where the phantom lives in a lake underneath the opera house the paris opera house and one of the ways that um, he protects his house is by swimming in the lake like people can come down to the lake and um if they get too close to his house he'll come in to the lake and just use uh, a reed or a straw to breathe underwater but then he'll sing and like a siren lure them into the waters and all that kind of thing so uh, i was using uh that to I- introduce uh this guy uh in inky black with some kind of eye patch into the story so that was that's way that's 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 a deep cut right there but anyway Uh, That's uh, what's going on in this chapter. Obviously, if you're a fan of The Hobbit in Tolkien's uh, 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 Middle Earth stuff... The next uh, chapter will make all kinds of sense to you if you haven't ever read the hobbit why why have you never read the hobbit it's great Um, but you'll also enjoy uh, the next chapter as well and i encourage you to come back next week as we look at chapter 15 of showdown in the yukon if you would like to get your own copy of the book swing over to amazon.com and you can grab a copy Uh, if you have read a copy of that leave me a review over there that helps amazon get it into the hands of other people who might be interested in that kind of story Uh, if you would also want to swing over to wherever you're listening to this whatever platform that is and leave a review and a rating for this show that would also be greatly appreciated and last if you haven't signed up for my reader group uh you should uh i you get a, a starter library That includes uh, several short stories, part of this book, um, but also the entirety of book one of my four uh, part series called uh, called Casey Jackson and Southacre. So you can get all of book one for that uh, simply by signing up for uh, my reader group. I think that's it. So without further ado, I hope you have a great week and I will see you back here next time.